Good morning. We're so glad you're here. My name's Adam. As Amanda said, we had hoped to be somewhere else. We had hoped to be at the Elm Street Farm in Berkeley. We've enjoyed gathering there on the first Sunday of the month over the warmer months, and we knew moving into November there was some risk, but we felt that we would attempt, and obviously in light of snow and rain and colder temperatures, we find ourselves here. So we're so glad that you're still able to connect, to join, to participate with us in this way using tech. I do want to make this comment. Thank you very much, John and Maggie, for extending warm hospitality to us during our outdoor services. We've loved being in that space, and uh, we hope to do that again at some time in the future. But here we are today. This week, I saw some things on social media that made me laugh on Instagram and Facebook. Here's a couple of one-liners that really tickled me. I saw this regarding Thanksgiving. Six are allowed at Thanksgiving, but 30 for a funeral. I will be holding a funeral for my pet turkey that will pass away on November the 26th. Refreshments provided. Somebody else I know posted this. I had to quit my job so I could read emails from my kids' school full-time. And then thirdly, I saw this. I'm going to change my Facebook username to nobody so that when people post annoying comments that I don't like, I will click like and it will say under their comment, nobody likes this. I tell you these funny glimpses that I've seen on social media this week because I've also seen the opposite of funny. I've seen arguing. I've seen conflict. I've seen differing opinions that are expressed in such a way that they can be quite personal, quite hurtful. And and today I want to look at what is God's plan for the way we are relationally connected. What is God's order? What is his idea? What is his blueprint? The, the word that sums this up is this word called unity. And I want to explore that and unpack that today, asking the question, what is God's plan for us, for his people and for the church? So what's God's plan? What does unity look like? We see examples often when we see the opposite of unity, but what does it look like? I want to make this comment. It's easy to disagree with somebody. Disagreement is easy. It's easy to disagree with a neighbor or a colleague or somebody from church, somebody you know, somebody you don't know. Arguing is easy. It is easy to argue again with a neighbor, a colleague, someone driving a car who pulls out in front of you or somebody from church. Or somebody online, my goodness, it's so easy to argue with somebody online. It would be so much easier if we all thought the same, acted the same, liked the same things, and dare I say, voted the same. But as we all know, people are different, have different priorities, different tastes, different opinions. And the diversity is a good thing, and diversity is a God thing. Conflict, disagreement, and strife seem to be everywhere at the moment. 2020 has been a tense year, and it still is. 
with differing opinions on how we should approach the pandemic and how we should live our lives. And I can't help but recognize the closeness of an event happening on Tuesday, how people should vote and who should govern in the highest office in the land. Conflict and disunity are seemingly everywhere at the moment. But I believe that that's not God's best for us. And today and next week, over these two weeks, I want to look at this subject and expand it. I am going to make a comment here on the subject of politics. I've had so many culture shocks. And many people, even people that are here, have said, actually, this is really quite a unique and an extreme time in this election season. I have had several people from various sides of the political persuasion that have asked me if I would make a statement, if I would encourage, if I would endorse, and if I would recommend people to vote in a particular way. And I have heard these opinions from both sides of the political spectrum. And it has been my privilege and my challenge at times to, to, to listen, not necessarily to, to make judgment, but to consider the value of what people are saying. And, and I've heard wisdom on both sides. I know people who will vote one way and they will strongly use their Bible and their faith to support their conviction. I know other people who will vote the other way and they will also use their Bible and their faith to support their conviction. As a church, those people are in this community and I'm grateful for the diversity of opinion in this church. I don't want to use this time to explore the arguments and I would invite you not to use the Facebook chat below to explore and expand the arguments or the persuasions. Personally, as part of my role as the senior leader of this church, I am contracted to remain politically neutral. That actually helps. From a point of standing and living here, I have permanent residency, I have a green card, I can't vote. Again, possibly that helps. I love the people who have different opinions. And I recognize the integrity of their faith as they seek to explore it in their life and in the way that they make their decisions and in the way they cast their vote. I'm not going to tell you how you should vote, but I will say this. Please do vote. Please pray. Please seek God. Please consider and listen. Listening is such a great and rare pattern. Sometimes we, we, we speak often, we argue loudly, but sometimes we listen scarcely. May I encourage you to listen, but may I encourage you to use your voice. May I encourage you to use your vote. May I encourage you in the lived community that conflict and disagreement is not the way of God. It's not his best for us. Conflict, disagreement, and strife are everywhere, but that's not God's best for us. Andy Stanley, the leader of North Point Church, said this, never ever burn a relational bridge over a political view. Don't do that. I love that advice. Never burn a relational bridge over a political view. But I can't help but recognize, especially in light of what I've just said, that unity is hard. It's easier to ignore it. Unity is hard, but it is God's best for us. Earlier on in this year, my wife Sarah brought a prophetic word to explain that. 
in a in a simple way if this is new to you i believe that god speaks to his people his sons and his daughters and we can hear from him and then we can say what we've heard and in the simplest terms that's what prophecy is i want to read this this prophetic word to you now this was much earlier on in the year and at the time it felt interesting but listen to it now in light of the current season in light of the current scenarios that we're living in sarah said this and she believed this was from god and i believe it is too the disabling spirit can't stop us many of us myself included felt a huge anticipation of a coming move of god in the weeks between passover and pentecost as the time of Pentecost approached, it felt like we were on the brink of something amazing that God was about to do. I still feel that we are, but yet I feel a warning from God. What I feel God has been showing me is that there are several spin-off arguments coming towards us which are threatening the unity of the body of Christ, which is the church. The body of Christ is joined together with Christ as the head. With all members of one body but yet each working together in different ways. We need each other. When we are disconnected, the body can't work properly. Disunity is disabling and disempowering. I believe this is a tactic that we need to see for what it is and get our focus back on Jesus and what he already did on the cross and stop being distracted. We're on the brink of perhaps the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we've seen. Let's not miss this because of distracted arguments, offense, grudges, or anything else dividing or seeking to divide us. This is not about political parties or individuals. We must put everything aside and take hold of Jesus' finished work on the cross and how that affects our individual lives, and let that motivate us, lead us, and guide us. Let's not forget the very simple thing that is love for all. He wants everyone to know him. Rereading this prophecy that was given earlier on in the year, it feels so timely now. In this moment, at this occasion, we don't want to be distracted. We don't want to miss what God has for us. I believe and I'm excited by that. And I like the centering petition in that prophecy that says, just come back to Jesus. Focus on Jesus. Don't be distracted. I'm going to say this and I'm going to use the word we, but as I use this analogy, you may find yourself using the word I. Sometimes we criticize others to make ourselves look better. Sometimes we make somebody else wrong to make ourselves right. Sometimes we speak about somebody in their absence in a way that we never would in their presence. If you find yourself doing this, may I encourage you, not in a rebukeful, shameful way, but may I encourage you 
to ask God to forgive you and change you because this is not the way he wants us to live. I want to explore this now through the words, the prayer and the petition of Jesus. If you've got your Bibles, we're going to turn to the New Testament book of John, John's gospel. The passage is going to appear on the screen. I love John's gospel because it's it's a it's an eyewitness account. John was one of Jesus's disciples and he recorded what he saw and what he heard. And in this moment, we hear what are some of the final words of Jesus on his life on earth. And final words are often really important. They're often worth remembering and listening to. And what we hear or overhear is a prayer that Jesus prays for his disciples then and then for the people who would later believe in his message, which is us. So what we're about to hear is both Jesus's prayer and his desire for us, his goal, his ideal, his heart's desire, his plea for us. And he said this, John 17, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved me. This short but direct prayer, plea, request gives us a an idea of what Jesus desires for us. And it's that we would be one, that there'll be a sense of unity, that there'll be a sense of relational connectivity. He isn't praying that we would all be the same, that we would all like the same things or express ourselves in the same ways, but he's praying that we would be one. And the model that Jesus used, and it's a high bar, is the example of the relationship between God and Jesus. My goodness, that's a high bar. And he says, that's the example. That's what I want you to aspire to. That is my desire for you too, that you would be one in that way. Wow, that's a high bar. But what I like about this is Jesus isn't just saying this because wouldn't that be a nice idea? Wouldn't that make things easier? Wouldn't that make the world a better place? All of those things are true. But there's a promise in here of fruitfulness. When you are one, then the world will know. Then others will know. Your neighbors, your friends, your colleagues, your town, your country, the world. Then the world will know. The promise is that the world will know who Jesus is when the church displays unity. Then they will know. The promise of fruitfulness is triggered by the connectivity and the love in the body of Christ, which is the church. This is quite a remarkable statement, that the fruitfulness that we need, that we desire, that we dream of, that we pray for, is birthed and is found 
in the unity of the church. This is really, really important. Consider this, the early believers of Jesus, if you read on in the New Testament, you read the story of the early believers, they were characterized by a sense of oneness of community. They cared for each other. They shared their money, their possessions. They were known for this. And they were also known for a great sense of fruitfulness. There are these times where these unqualified uneducated, stumbling along, trying to work out their faith kind of people were so fruitful that there were move of God after move of God after move of God. Remarkable things happened. Their fruitfulness was in many ways because of their sense of unity and oneness. It is the fulfillment of Jesus's prayer that they will be one and then others will know. It could be said the other way, that when we aren't not, when we aren't one, when there isn't a sense of unity in the church, there are consequences and there are fruitfulness too. For example, negative people aren't very nice to be around. If there is a community of people who are negative and critical and mean to each other, it's very unlikely that anyone's going to want to join that community. There is a fruitfulness to all of the seeds that we sow. But yet when we're one and when we're unified, then, then we're going to be fruitful. These two go hand in hand. The words that we say and the seeds that we sow will always produce fruit. Unity produces great fruitfulness. Negativity and criticism produces another kind of fruit. And I don't want that. We don't want that. That's not what Jesus is praying for. Or petitioning for his people. Unity is important. I want to look at this some more and get practical. What does this look like? How do we do this? Let's get practical. The first thing I want to mention is words. And I'm going to own this for myself. There's a passage that I pray, that I consider, that I remind myself of quite often. It's a short passage in Psalm 19. And it says this, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. There's times I whisper that when I'm going somewhere. There's times when I'm in a conflict. There's times when there's someone who I absolutely disagree with. And as I'm driving towards meeting this person, sometimes I'm praying, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord. When I consider the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart through the sight and the lenses of God, there's times where they are not pleasing to God. And I know that. I pray this because I want to change. But I also pray this because words are important. Spoken words and words online. Words on Instagram or Facebook. Words are important. May I encourage you as we consider the subject of words of the subject of unity, to consider your words. They have impact. They go somewhere. In the context of Jesus' prayer, they will plant seeds and they will bear some fruit. May I encourage you to consider your words. Secondly, what does this look like? How do we give ourselves to the subject of unity? Listening. May I encourage you to listen 
People are so often fast to speak and slow to listen. And the subjects I've mentioned, politics or coronavirus or other subjects, so often people have got something to say and they want to say it. But we're not truly listening. Sometimes you find yourself in a conversation where you know that the person isn't necessarily listening, but they're waiting or rehearsing what they're going to say next. May I encourage you as we consider the subject of unity, may I encourage you to listen. May I plant the seed of the idea that sometimes by listening, the other person may have something to say that you haven't seen, that you haven't considered, that you would benefit to learn from. God made us in such a way that we need each other and no one person has all of the answers. Therefore, as we are indebted to the wisdom in the other person, we would be very foolish to fail to listen. May I encourage you in the spirit of unity as you consider your words, may I also encourage you to consider that you listen. And thirdly, practical but yet important, may I encourage you to pray. And not just pray for the people that you like or the people that you vote for. The Bible tells us to pray for those in leadership, whoever they are. And there isn't the condition that you like them or that you don't like them. So may I encourage you this week, if you vote for Trump and Biden gets elected, may I please encourage you to pray for Biden. And if this week you vote for Biden and Trump gets elected, may I encourage you to vote to pray for Trump. Pray regardless of your where you check your box. Pray. We need God to move. We need God to do what only he can do. And whilst I want to honor the offices of these of the position of the President of the United States. May I make this comment? Our hope isn't in any elected individual. All persons are broken and fallen. All persons. Whoever is elected into that position will not be the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world and our hope is in him. But do pray. Pray in all seasons. Pray in all circumstances. Because unity is important. It is and was and will always be Jesus' desire for us, his church. Because oneness provokes fruitfulness. Oneness provokes fruitfulness. Last week, I was fishing and I was preparing for these two weeks, knowing that on the weeks surrounding and either side of the election, I wanted to look at the subject of unity and ask God, what's your desire for your church? I was praying, Lord, show me. How do we unpack this? How do we explore this? And as I was by the river, the leaves were falling. Autumn is moving. And as we saw this weekend, it's moving through quickly. There is a season change happening. And there was a lot of noise in the air above me as geese were flying and as we're moving around. And I looked at the geese and I often marvel at 
the beauty of God's design in nature. And as I looked at the geese that were making a noise, honking and flying across the sky, they were in their classic V formation, as many of you would have seen geese fly in the V formation. And I was reminded of their picture, their example of unity. And I feel that this example that we see in nature, that we see in geese, is a great analogy for the church in the subject of unity. Let me give you some details here. Geese fly in a V formation because it creates an uplift for the goose immediately following. Flying in a V formation adds approximately 70% greater flying range than if each goose was flying on their own. When the goose in front gets tired, they will rotate and they will move around. They will carry the weight together. They will shift positions. And another goose will take over the position in front. Geese will honk to encourage the one in front who can't see them. They're honking to say, come on, we can do this. Keep moving. You're doing a good job. Get going. What a great thing to do behind someone's back, to encourage them behind their back. If a goose gets sick or is wounded, a couple of other goose may drop out of the formation to help and to protect them. They will then stay with them on the ground with the disabled goose until he or she dies or is able to fly again. Then they will either fly together and rejoin the formation or they will form another formation until they can catch up with their group. I love some of these lessons that we see in nature. The rotating to share the burden, the extended distance that's possible when they work together rather than when they fly their own, the honking behind their back to encourage them and to spur them on, the care that if someone stumbles, others gather around them and care for them while they're sick, and then the sense of journey and destination. Interestingly, if you've ever seen geese on the ground, it's kind of messy. They often poo all over the grass and they're making noise and they're going in all sorts of directions. When geese are on the ground, they're called a gaggle, which kind of reflects the noise and the sense of chaos when they're on the ground. When geese are flying, they're called a flock. And at that point, they're going somewhere. And there's order and there's community and there's unity and there's care. And they're called a flock. My prayer for us as a church at this time is that we won't be a gaggle, but that we, we will be a flock. That's my desire. And I see that in the desire of Jesus's prayer in John 17. May we know what it is to be a flock. My last comment about geese, I googled the question, where are they going? Why are they flying? And it says that they fly in this way when there is a season change, when there is a shift, when something is ending and something new is beginning. For us at the moment, it is a season. Autumn or fall is moving and winter is coming. So there's a season shift for the geese. For us as a church, I'm praying for a season shift. 
I'm praying for a move of God where we refine the power, the person of Jesus and are full of the Holy Spirit in such a way that we see the fruitfulness that Jesus promised his church when there is the spirit of unity. I'm praying, pleading, wanting and waiting for a season change that we will not be a gaggle on the ground, but that we will be moving somewhere led by the spirit and the wind of God and that we will see a season change that will lead to a greater sense of fruitfulness. As 2020 comes to an end and we begin to pray and prepare for next year, that's what I'm praying for, that there will be a movement, that there will be a change, that there will be a positive step forward in this next chapter for us as we move into this new year. It begins with unity. Unity is needed. Let me give you an update on how we're gathering at this time. As Amanda said, we were meant to be meeting outside, but we aren't. We're here and we're still utilizing the tech. And I'm so grateful for the team every week that help us do this. We want to continue to be able to connect, to grow, to learn and to worship together. And we recognize that there are many different means and ways of which we can do this. As we move into the winter, we are going to begin to meet in person for those who can and are able to do so. We're planning and we're putting together the many details and policies and we're looking to be able to gather together for some people in person from the beginning of December. More information will be coming to you over the next coming weeks. We're looking at using the space next door, 191 Tory Street. And we're looking at every aspect of safety and provision so that we can create a great environment for those who can gather in that way at this time. We are also looking at reinvesting and imagining our sense of online connectivity, aware that for some, that's a better fit. And it may be watching on their own. It may be watching with friends in a, in a circle, in a gathering. We want to continue to connect in that way. To use the geese analogy, we are still one flock. Sometimes there's two different Vs, but they're one flock. I'm imagining these two Vs as an online community and a gathered community, but we're one. We're together. We want to give attention to that. So over the coming weeks, keep an eye out for information on Bulletin and on social media in terms of how we can do that together. And it is together. It isn't one or two persons making it happen. It is everyone coming together to make it possible. So this week, I've looked at the subject of unity and with some practical ideas of what we can do, how we can, how we can give ourselves. And it begins with repentance when we've made someone else wrong to make ourselves right. Or when we spoke about someone in their absence in a way we wouldn't in their presence, we recognize that it starts with us. And for some times on some occasions, we need to repent and put right where we've operated in a way that isn't answering Jesus's prayer. And then we want to give attention to our words to our listening, and to the way that we pray for people. Next week, I want to look at this subject further in terms of what does this look like, but as an introduction for that. And I'm going to end with this as a prop, as a visual, and as a centering piece. What does unity look like? It looks like a table. And it looks like a table with Jesus sat around, with a variety of people who think differently, look differently, act differently, and would come to different conclusions, but they're one as they gather around one table. Because 
there's one cup and there's one bread and there's one body and there's one gospel and there's one Jesus. And around this one table, Jesus is offering himself to many. He is one and we are one, but yet we are many and and we are many and we're different, but we come together around this one cup. So in your homes, I want to pause for a moment and I want to ask you if you can to gather some juice or some wine or some bread and in your homes or if you're meeting with friends in a circle, I want to encourage you to, to gather these elements, bread and wine. And we are going to recognize that our unity begins around this table, around this cup, and around this loaf. In Luke's gospel, we read of this event, and it is the story of God's love for us. It's the story of sacrifice. It's the picture and the price for all the things that we have done and said and and messed up. And he's making it right through paying the sacrifice for us. And around this table where people are diverse and different, it says this, and he, which is Jesus, took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it. As an example, as a symbol of what would be happening to his body. And he said this, take this and eat this. This is my body that is broken for you. And he took the cup and he passed it to them. And he said, take this and drink this. This is my blood that is shed for you. Unity costs. It always has. The ultimate gift of unity is that we can be unified with Jesus, that we can be unified with God, that our past, our actions and our words don't mean that we are separate from God, but through the sacrifice of Jesus, unity is offered between us and God. And it's a gift and it's free. And Jesus makes it possible. As you take the bread and the cup in your homes and as you pray, I want to read this prayer of blessing on you. And then I'm going to ask the team to come back and they're going to play some music and lead us in a song. So we want to stay in this moment. I want to encourage you to pray in your place, in your home, in your setting, whether you're on your own or with people, to do this. In the New Testament book of Colossians, we read this. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to live in peace. And always be thankful. So we approach this gift with thankfulness, with gratitude, aware that this is what unity looks like. This is where unity begins. And that this was the ultimate price that was paid for us. May we know that gift and may we recognize that unity is Jesus's heart. It is his goal. It is his desire. And it's his gift that he gives us today. Let's participate in that now.